All right, good morning, Central Church. How's everyone here? Awesome. If you're watching us online this morning, whether that's our Facebook Live page or our website, we are so glad you're joining us virtually today. If you are in our Oakwood Chapel in Overflow, man, welcome to you this morning. Thanks for being here. I hope the, the live worship this morning was a nice addition to that normal Overflow uh, worship time together. If you're in the concourse at a table, if you are on a couch, Shirley Hale, good to see you this morning. We're glad you're joining us and everyone that's in here live. I have the privilege this morning of introducing our guest speaker. My daughter Shannon uh, attends a church in St. Louis called One Family Church. And she started attending there, it's probably been a couple years, maybe a little longer than that. And she started sending me these videos of this pastor named Brent Rome. And uh, I'm like, dang, this dude's like good, like he's really good. And so through my daughter Shannon, uh, I got acquainted with Brent and his wife, Rebecca, and he invited me down to St. Louis. Uh, to, it's a multi-site church. It's in an urban part of St. Louis, very diverse, multi-ethnic, a really fun congregation. So I've got to go down there and preach a couple of times. Um, and so he invi I invited him to come up here this weekend and preach. And while he's here this weekend, our Haley Wiggers, Pastor Haley, is down there preaching in his church, doing pulpit fill. So fun switch down there. Um, but, but being down there in that church, his congregation just loves him. I mean, they just pour love on him. But the, the cool thing is they demonstrate their love for him while he preaches, see. Uh, and they, they let him know how much they appreciate him while he's bringing the word of God. See, take a look at this. 2,000 years after that, there was another only begotten son who was told to carry the wooden implements of his own execution up the hill to be sacrificed by his father. Right. See, talk, talk to us. See, I'm just saying, pastors love to be loved while they're, while they're preaching. <laughs> just, just keep it in mind. Just keep that in mind. When, when your pastor is in the pulpit, he might like somebody to say, talk to us, pastor. Talk to us. Brent Rome, come on up and bring the word to us. It is a huge honor and a joy to be here. Um, as, as Pastor Jeff just mentioned, his daughter Shannon is a member of our church down in St. Louis. So although you all don't know us, we know you. Um, because Shannon uh, turned us on to Central Church um, maybe a, about a year or so ago, and uh, she told me that her father was a pastor up here in Sioux Falls. And so I said, man, i got to check this out, because I'm interested in preacher's kids. I'm a PK, so I'm like, Let, let's, let's see what this guy's all about. I went on Facebook, and he has all of these prayer sessions, and he's doing like videos. I remember you went into like a donut shop one time, and you were doing like a teaching in there. So then I go over to your website, and I start watching all of his sermons. I'm like, man, this is amazing. Um, can I steal this content and just, and just preach it down at One Family Church? Uh, and then I thought, maybe we'll just have him come. So he's been down a couple times to St. Louis, and our church has been massively blessed by your pastor. Uh, we love him. They call him Pastor Wheels down there now, so I think that's what you call him here. But, but your pastor is the real deal. We honor him. We thank God for him. We love him and his family. Uh, and of course, um, Shirlene is the secret sauce behind all of this. You all know that already. But we just want to say we love you all. And, it's, and, and it sounds like he wants a little feedback when he's preaching. So come on. Let's just next time just say, talk to us, Pastor. 
Um, it is so good to be here. And it's amazing to be here on Super Bowl Sunday, y'all. I mean, to be invited to preach on Super Bowl Sunday. Now listen, I just want you to know right here out of the gate, my heart is with you. The Vikings should have made it. I mean, they should have gone. They, they just should have gone. They should have gone. But I think we can all agree that we're going to root for the Chiefs this afternoon. Amen, somebody? Okay. All right. We're all in one accord. Any, any Eagles fans today? All right. Okay. All right. Good. Good. We'll have a, a special altar call for you at the end of service that the Lord would work on your heart. Um, man, it is, it is really cool to be here. My wife, Rebecca, is here with us today, and she's amazing. I wanna, I'm going to give you a sermon today. I'm going to preach for a few moments on a personal, on a personal uh, principle, a personal truth that I am in the process as a church planter of learning and growing in. And I think that this message, I pray that this message would resonate with some of you with where you are in your life and, and in where you're trying to get to in your life. I want to preach a message that I'm calling when not enough is all you need. When not enough is all you need. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. Let's just open our hearts to the Lord and to his word this morning. Father, we, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful to be in a place where we can, we can hear your word. We can hear it preached and taught. I pray, Lord God, that I would speak in a way that is truthful to your word, that is aligned with your truth. I pray that I would speak in a way that is transformative in our hearts. I pray that each and every one of us would have ears to hear what you have to say. I pray that each of us would have open hearts. Our hearts would be like good soil to receive the seed of your word, that it might take root in our lives and that it might bear much fruit. We trust you, we praise you, and all that we do here today is to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 11 years ago, my wife, Rebecca, and I planted One Family Church in St. Louis. We planted this church in this urban environment in an area called University City, which is right in the heart of St. Louis. And if I could describe that whole experience in one sentence, the sentence would be, we didn't have enough. We didn't have enough. More specifically, we were lacking in three areas. We didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough talent. And we didn't have enough treasure. Just three small items that you need when you're launching a church. You need a little time. You need a little talent. You need a little treasure. We didn't have enough of any of those. So time. I was working a full-time job. God had been calling me to plant a church for years. And I had been afraid to do it, frankly. And finally, my wife had said, listen, you've got to do this. Otherwise, you're going to drive me crazy. You, you need to do what God is calling you to do. But I wasn't ready. I couldn't quit my job. So I was working full time as an attorney at that time, which is, takes up a, a, a number of hours. Uh, it, it's just, you're just cranking. And so I would come to a little coffee shop in, in, uh, in, in downtown U-City every Saturday. And I would prepare a sermon on Saturday night for the congregation on Sunday. Now, I don't know if you know this, but like it takes a little longer to prepare a sermon than like Saturday night. But I would just pray like, I would pray, Lord, let me be one step ahead of the congregation. Lord, help me know, help me to know this much more than them. Please don't let me get up in the pulpit tomorrow and they know more than me about what I'm preaching. Lord, just give me a little bit of insight so that I can preach. But I just didn't have enough time. My wife didn't have enough time. She was, we were having 
kids, our family was growing. I think there's a picture of our, our little ones up there. Um, but our, we were having, we, you know, we had a growing family and the littles were taking up some time. Some of you parents know kids can kind of consume a little bit of your time and energy, right? So we're, we're having kids and, and then she's trying to help plant the church. So she's like the worship leader, the children's ministry director, the volunteer director, the decorations are. She's like, the, she's like all over the place just trying to get stuff done. And, and she just didn't have enough time. We, we both were just like, we don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the margin to do this. That's time. Number two, we didn't have, we didn't have enough talent. And when I say we, I, meant, I, I mean me. Um, she's very talented. But like, I didn't know how to preach. I didn't know how to pastor. I would prepare these sermons, and then I would get up in front of the congregation, and I would start to preach, and I could just tell. You know, if you've ever given a public address, you, you can kind of feel what's going on. And at that time, I could just feel people just sort of fading off from my sermon. Like, it's like, it's not resonating with them. It's not coming through. I, I'll never forget our very first Sunday. We had a crowd there. We gathered a crowd, and there was a woman on the very front row. And as I'm preaching, I could see her doing, like, just, just a gentle kind of, like, you know, just kind of nodding off a little bit. Not a lot, but just a little bit in my sermon. So I'm trying to ramp it up. But it's not working, and, and I start to see her body just kind of go limp a little bit as she's trying to stay awake. But you could tell the seats are comfortable, the preacher's a little boring. It's just the, the combination is perfect for her, and um, it was warm in there. And pretty soon, as I'm preaching my very first sermon, and I'm really pouring it out, like this is the launch of the church, her body just kind of slumps over the edge of the seat, and she is out, y'all. I mean, I actually started preaching more quietly so I wouldn't wake her up, just out of respect. I'm like, God has given me the spirit of rest to pour out upon the congregation. So I just, didn't, I just didn't have the ability to do what God was calling me to do. I'd been listening to these pastors like Tim Keller, Tony Evans, these guys, these great orators, these brilliant men of God, and then I'm getting up and preaching, and there's just no comparison. It's just like, it's not even close. And I remember reading or seeing, I think I read what Tim Keller said one time. He said, if you're a new pastor, if you're just planting a church, if you're just learning how to preach, don't work so hard on your sermon, he said, because the first 200 sermons are not going to be any good anyway. They're going to be terrible. So I remember coming to the congregation after about almost a year, and I was like, listen, I've given 50 sermons. Tim Keller says that I'll be good after 200. So if you all can just hold on for another 150 sermons, we're going to get, we're going to get where we need to go. So, so I lacked in, in the talent arena. We lacked the time, we lacked the talent, and we lacked the treasure. We didn't have enough money to plant a church. We had been to church planting conferences and, and their recommendation was that you had tens of thousands of dollars stored up and that you had a massive launch team and you had all that you needed and you could do it full time. And I'm like, we don't have any of that. There were 11 of us, including Rebecca and me. There were 11 of us total. That was the whole launch team. And, and I'm not sure that all of, I mean, most of them were Christians, but maybe, you know, maybe marginally, you know, but that, that was, that's what we had. And I remember taking them to a church plant because I thought this is going to be inspirational. Let's go, let me show them what we're going to do. And we pull up to this other plant, this other church that had just started in St. Louis. And we pull into the parking lot and there are these two huge semi-trailers. They've got all this equipment and lighting. They've got a full staff. They're just rocking, you know, and I, and I go to this service and I walked out like totally depleted. Like we have a six foot trailer in my garage that fits all of our equipment and we're packing it up and packing it in every day. We just didn't have enough of anything we needed to do the thing that God was calling us to do. 
And finally, uh, the moment sort of culminated for us when we went to a, a church planting conference in Birmingham. And I call this the breakdown in Birmingham. This was the moment for Rebecca and me. We, we went to this conference, and it seemed like everybody else that was planting churches, they were just wildly succeeding. And, oh, man, all this stuff is happening. People are getting saved, baptized, and it's just amazing. And Rebecca had gone into a workshop about worship, and they were talking about, okay, here's the in-ears that you need, and here's the kind of audio equipment you may, you know, and we're just like, a Christian school had given us a couple speakers and some cables. That was our whole thing, right? So, so Rebecca comes out of this, this workshop, and I could just see, it was her birthday weekend too, by the way, which did, did not help. But she, she comes up to me, and we're out on the sidewalk, and I, she's just starting to break down. She just says to me, I, I just, I can't do this. Like, I can't juggle the work and the kids and trying to plant this church and we don't have what we need and we're looking at all these other people and they're all doing amazing and I, I can't, we just can't, I don't have it. We don't, we don't have enough. And she got emotional, that made me emotional and so we're standing there hugging on the sidewalk on her birthday at this church planting conference having a, you know, a, an emotional and mental breakdown right there just together and as we kind of wipe our tears and tried to get ourselves together, we, we discovered that we were actually standing in front of this huge window where they were having a workshop, a church planting workshop inside of that window. So all of these church planters are watching us melt down emotionally on the sidewalk, you know. And I know what they were thinking. They were thinking, they don't have enough. They, 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 don't, they don't have what they need, right? Every single one of us here today in some area of our life is experiencing the reality of our own insufficiency. Every single one of us knows that there are areas of our life where we lack what we need to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish. Every single, come on, brother. Every single, I like him, bring him to the front row. Every single one of us in some area of our life has to throw up our hands and go, I'm not enough. I don't have enough to do what you're calling me to do. And let me just say this. If you have enough to accomplish your dream on your own, you need a bigger dream. Because God never calls us to do what we can do on our own. God never calls us to do what we're capable of doing without his intervention. He only calls us to do the things that we can't do, that we cannot do without him. He always says, you need me to do what I'm really calling you to do. Some of you all, you all 18 to 29, you're old next generation, you're moving forward in life and you're asking yourself, am I enough? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough education? Am I good looking enough? Am I tall enough? Is my personality sparkling enough? Can I, get, can I go to where I need to go? Because I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I have enough time. I don't know if I, if, if I have enough talent and ability. I don't know if I have enough education. I don't know if I have enough. Some of you parents right now, I know that you know that you don't have enough, right? You're trying to raise kids and you're trying to work a job and you're, you're trying to serve at your church and you might be trying to be a good spouse. And I, I got a call yesterday actually from a family friend of mine and he called me and he said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. He said, listen, here's the thing. I need your help. I need your advice. He goes, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my job. He's starting a business. I love my job and I love my church. He said, but I can't be good at all of that. I cannot be a good husband and a good father and a good business operator and a good 
servant of the Lord at my church. I just, I am at beyond capacity. I don't have enough. And right as I was about to kind of give him some of my pastoral counsel and advice, I hear this loud sound. He goes, meh. And he goes, hey, man, I'm at my son's basketball game. The second half is starting. Thank you, man. I love you. I got to go. And he's out. And it was like, it was the perfect example of someone who just, they literally are trying, but they don't have enough. I know that you moms, you know you don't have enough to be the mom that you want to be and the wife that you want to be and the woman of God that you want to be. You just, there's not enough. Some of you moms are raising kids by yourself and you're just, you're trying to hold down three or four jobs, but you just know, I, I, don't, I don't have enough. If you today resonate with any of that, with any of this experience of not having enough of what you need to accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish, I want you to know that you are in good company because the disciples of Jesus found themselves in a truly, a true moment of insufficiency in the Gospels. In the early part of their career, Jesus sent the disciples out, his apostles, two by two out to do mission work. And he said, I want you to go out and I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to, uh, I want you to cast out demons. I want you to go spread the gospel. So his 12 disciples went out two by two and spread the gospel. And then they came back to tell Jesus how they had done. And I'm gonna read a passage in just a moment, but, but the, the setup for the, the passage is that they came back to tell Jesus, Jesus, we've been on this mission trip and we wanna tell you how we're doing. We wanna tell you how we've done. And they needed some time with Jesus alone, right? They needed Jesus to, to pay attention to them. They needed his applause. They needed some accolades. They needed his affirmation. They needed Jesus to say, good job. You guys are doing a really, really good job. That's what they needed. How, how many of you guys, let me just talk to the guys for a minute. How many of you guys need a little affirmation from time to time? You need somebody to say, good job. You know, only about seven of you. So the rest of you are like, so... So together, I'm one of those guys that like, I like it when my wife notices something good that I do. Come on, fellas, get with me now. You know what I'm talking about. Like if I, if I screw in a light bulb, you know, I want her to go, oh, nice job. That, you did a good job screwing that light bulb in. You know, there's light shining out of it now. And I'm like, yeah, I did that. You know, I'm not super handy. So when I do something, I want it to count, you know, like. I, I was doing some exercise recently, and I was getting ready to do a set of pull-ups, and my wife was in the room, and I said, um, she's getting ready to leave the room, and I go, hey, babe, uh, I'm getting ready to do a set of pull-ups. Would you mind just to stay in the room for a minute? And uh, she's like, why would I stay in the room while you're doing pull-ups? And I go, I don't know. I just, I guess I just want you to see me do, do my pull-ups. I want you to see me do them. She's like, why do you want me to see you do your pull-ups? I go, I don't know. I just, maybe because you'll think that I do good pull-ups. I don't know. I just, could you stay in the room? So she stayed in the room after I did my pull-ups. She's like, good job on the pull-ups. I'm like, thank you. That was awesome. So this is, this is, this is Jesus' disciples. They're like, Jesus, we need you to affirm what we've done. The problem, a crowd was gathering around them. They wanted time with Jesus alone. Scripture says that they were hungry. It says that, that they didn't even have time to eat because the crowd had gathered around them. So Jesus, in his kindness, says, I'm going to take you guys. We're going to go get in the boat. We're going to go cross the Sea of Galilee. We're going to sit down. We're going to have some lunch. We're going to talk. We're going to download this experience. We're going to be together, just us. And they said, thank you, Jesus. 
So they get in the boat and they start going across the Sea of Galilee. The problem is that the Sea of Galilee is not huge. And so the people on the shore saw that Jesus' boat was going across the Sea of Galilee and they ran around the shore so that they could catch him on the other side. And it wasn't just a few of them. There were thousands of them. There were at least 5,000. There may have been up to 10 or 15,000 people coming around the shore. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had, on, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Notice again, the disciples want Jesus alone so that they can get some affirmation and they can eat, most, most importantly, they're hungry. But they pull up to this crowd and Jesus has compassion on the crowd. The disciples did not have compassion on the crowd. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Jesus, send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. In other words, Jesus, we don't have the same compassion for this group of people that you do. We need some time with you. Get rid of these people. They said to him, um, uh, to the countryside and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, this is very curious. He says to them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, I want you to notice what the disciples are saying. The disciples are literally saying to Jesus, we don't have enough of what we need in order to do what you've told us to do. Specifically, Jesus, it's very late. We don't have enough time. It's already getting very, very late. Secondly, Jesus, we don't have enough talent we don't have enough ability. They said, send them away. Let them get something for themselves to eat because we can't feed them anyway. There are thousands of them. And thirdly, Jesus, we don't have enough time. We don't have enough talent and we don't have enough treasure. They said it would take half a year's wages just to buy the kind of food, the bread that we would need to feed them. We don't have what we need. We don't have enough. Jesus then says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Go, go see what you've got. When they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel some tood. I feel a little attitude right there. Because there's thousands of people, and Jesus says, go see what you've got to feed them. And they come back with like five barley rolls, like dinner rolls, like donut hole size pieces of bread, Okay like the pretzels at Auntie Annie's or whatever it's called. Like, these are like, this is what they've got. We've got some five of these and we've got two sardines. There you go. And there's like 14,000 people here. We don't have enough. But I love what Jesus is doing because Jesus is trying to teach them something and he's trying to teach us something. And that is this, if you're taking notes. We experience divine multiplicity after recognizing our own insufficiency. When we recognize that, God, you want us to do stuff that we can't do on our own, but we trust you to do it, that's when God can use us. The Apostle Paul says, it's when I'm weak that I am strong. Why? Because your power is made perfect in my weakness. When I'm weak and I recognize that I am insufficient, that's when God says, 
okay, now I can use you. Because if you think you are sufficient, if you think you've got it figured out, if you think you've got it dialed in, I cannot use you because the thing that I want you to do is bigger than you. And so I need you to understand that you cannot do this on your own. If you go through the Bible and you look at everybody who did anything of importance in the Bible, every single one of them was insufficient for the task. And they knew it. When Moses sees God in the burning bush and, and God says, I want you to go to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Remember what Moses says? He goes, I can't do that. First of all, I can't talk right. Second of all, I have no influence down there. Third of all, there's like an arrest warrant for me because I killed a guy and buried him in the sand. I don't know if you know this, God, but like I'm not really welcome down there. God says, great, now I can use you. Now that you recognize you can't do this on your own, now I can use you. When Jacob, when Jacob was, spent his whole life trying to manipulate and deceive in order to get ahead and get what he wanted from God, finally he loses it all. He's got his brother Esau, if you know this story, with 400 armed warriors coming after him. He's got his uncle Laban over here who's cheated him and, and lied to him, and he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, and he's about to lose everything. And the scripture says he wrestled with God in the middle of the night. And that wrestling with God was him saying, I can't do it anymore. I can't manipulate enough. I can't deceive enough. I can't make enough moves. I can't, I can't get this done without you, God. And God says, now I can use you. Because now your name, your name isn't Jacob anymore. Now it's Israel. I'm going to use you because you recognize your own insufficiency. And when you realize you can't do it on your own, that's when I can do my best work. That's what David, everybody knew he wasn't enough. His own dad was like, you're not talking about my son that's out in the field, number eight. Like, that guy is a runt. I can't, he's, you can, I can't imagine him being useful in any way to you other than tending the sheep, right? And, and David came along and said, I know I'm insufficient, but you know what he said? If you remember, this is one of my favorite lines. He said to Saul when he's facing, facing uh, the, uh, the giant, he says, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the Lord who saved me from the paw of the bear will surely rescue me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. So I'm ready to go to battle, even though I know I'm not enough because I worship a God who is. And so when I understand and recognize my own insufficiency, that's when God can do multiplicity in my life. Today, some of us just need to accept, God, I'm not enough, but you are. In St. Louis, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, we, we have a very diverse, multi-ethnic a congregation so people from every background and every country and every tribe and and in st louis we have this history um of of legalized discrimination along the along the um the area of housing so for many many years in, in st louis it was a matter of law it was codified in our laws that african americans were not allowed to purchase homes in white neighborhoods in fact the neighborhood that we live in in university city our home has has an indenture that that's a legal document that literally says no Negroes or Malays are allowed to live here. This was 1924 language to say black people and, and brown people are not allowed to live in these neighborhoods. And so that's created a huge disparity in St. Louis in terms of home ownership and, and opportunities to grow. And so we see this in our congregation and we see this among the brothers and sisters of, uh, of Christ that we, that we love. And so a group of us said, we need to address this. We need to change this. We need to do something about this. And so we got together a little bit of what we had and it wasn't enough. To do to make any kind of impact but we said here's what we're going to do we're going to pull together a few resources and our goal is going to be to help five african-american families purchase their first home that's going to be our goal we'll see if we can pull this off in in the next 12 months this was 19 months ago that we we did this and came together as of last week we closed on our 54th home well it's it's been transformative 
Totally transformative in St. Louis. And not only that, all of these other pastors and all of these other churches started to get a passion and a, and a heart for addressing homelessness and home ownership in St. Louis. And we said, what if we collectively, as the church, came together and went from homelessness, we help people move from homelessness all the way to home ownership. And this group of nine pastors, including Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics and non-denominationals and every, every did I say Lutherans? The Lutherans are there too. Every, every, they were all there. Every one of us came together and now we are raising, this group of guys are raising millions of dollars to help people in St. Louis move from homelessness all the way to home ownership. Why? Because we gave God just a tiny bit and God is multiplying it over and it's called a multiplier effect. A multiplier effect is when the change in the outcome is greater than the change of the input, right? So you give God your little five barley loaves and two sardines, and he goes, let me multiply that 500,000% and make 5,000 dinners for everybody, right? So God can, can multiply your efforts if you'll say, God, I'm giving it to you. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Let me just set this up. Remember, there are thousands of people. At this point, there's five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to get everybody arranged for lunch. I want you to get everybody set up for lunch in groups of 50 or 100. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Because there are thousands of people. We have five loaves, two fish. And now you're telling me, this is embarrassing, actually. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it because it's weird to tell people, hey, we need to get you guys organized to eat, but we have nothing to feed you, right? It's just not, it's not cool, man. Like, you don't do that to people that are hungry. But they have to do it. God's teaching them. Jesus is teaching them something. Here it is. We come to understand God's purpose after adhering to God's plan. This is one of the things I don't like about being a Christian because I like, thing, I like to know why before I do what. I like, I like, like Simon Sinek, Sinek the, the teacher, he's like, look, you need to tell people why they're doing what they're doing before you can get them to do anything, right? That's the way I work. Like, I want to know why I'm doing something before I'm going to do it. Jesus says, no, I want you to do what I tell you to do, and after, I, after you do it, you're going to begin to understand why you're doing it. God rolls out his purpose after you adhere to his plan. You never, you never get the opportunity to go, okay, God, I see why you're asking me to do that. Right? I see why you're having me put the people in gr groups of 50 and 100. No, put the people in groups of 50 and 100, and then I'm going to show you something that you didn't expect. Right? My favorite story in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're told to bow down before a golden throne King Nebuchadnezzar builds, this, this golden statue. Right? They say, no, we're not doing it. And remember what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. They came to him and said, our God is able to save us, number one. Number two, he will save us. But the third line is my favorite. They say, but even if he doesn't save us, we will not bow down before your, before your golden idol. What were they saying? They were saying, we don't actually know what God's going to do, but we're going to follow his plan irrespective of whether we understand his purpose. We're going to do what he tells us to do, whether or not we know how this is going to turn out. Here's my, here's my encouragement to you. Follow God's plan for your life, whether you understand the purpose or not. Follow God's plan for your family. Follow God's plan for your relationships. 
Follow God's plan with your finances. Follow God's plan with every aspect of your life because afterwards you get to experience his purpose. I'm going to close with this in just a moment. Uh, Taking the loaves, verse 41, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. I want you to get, I want you to get this. I want you to see the order. First, he gives thanks. Then he distributes. In other words, he gives thanks for the little before he makes the much. He gives thanks for the meal before he performs the miracle. What he's trying to teach us is this. Future gain arises from present gratitude. Future gain arises from present gratitude. My wife Rebecca and I on the sidewalk in Birmingham after the breakdown recognized in that moment God's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us to stop looking at everybody else and wishing that we had what they had. He's trying to teach us to be grateful for the 11 people that we have right now, that we get to serve with right now. We get to, we get to, we get to, we get to do ministry with this group of people right now. He says, listen, I want you to be thankful for the meal and trust, trust me for the multitude. Be thankful for the basics and, and trust me with the bonus. Be thankful for what you've got right now and trust me with the overflow. This was transformative for us. We had been meeting in a little theater. Uh, actually, it was a huge theater. We had a small group in a big theater. It was awkward. If there were 11 people in this auditorium right now, it would feel a little empty. That was us. And we had this, we were renting this space and my wife, Rebecca, would, would always say, wouldn't it be amazing if we got to buy this theater, this beautiful, gorgeous Art Deco theater in the heart of St. Louis? Wouldn't it be amazing if we got to do that? And it always embarrassed me because I just felt like that was such a pipe dream. We, there's 11 of us, you know, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is like not, never going to happen. During COVID, we had been growing and growing and growing, and we had reached a point where we needed to purchase a property because we couldn't hold multiple services uh, in, in the Tivoli because they were running movies in there. So I'd have to end the preaching because the matinee would, you know, the curtain would go up and the matinee would start, smell popcorn, and people are like, we're out, you know. And, and so, so during COVID, we were trying to find a space. We couldn't find a space. We made an offer on another building. You know what they said, the realtor? He said, that's not enough. We, we, you can't have, no, you can't have it. So we were stuck. We didn't know what to do. Suddenly during COVID, the company that was running movies in that theater shut down. It went out of business, pulled out. The owner of the business, the owner of the building, called us, right, and said, hey, would you guys be interested in purchasing the Tivoli Theater? And I remember thinking, like, I actually was driving on Del Mar, on Del Mar Boulevard. I pulled over because I didn't want to crash the car. I was, I was like, going to pass out. We just closed about a year ago on this building in the heart of St. Louis. We got this amazing, incredible space that God gave us. Why? Because we were grateful for the little. And God said, I have a plan for you, but I need you to recognize you can't get there on your own. I need you to recognize that it's a miracle from me. I need you to recognize that you're not enough, but I am. Here's my, here's my prayer for each one of you today. My prayer that you would, would come to an understanding that God is with you and God is enough even when you're not, especially when you're not. In other words, if you will just put what you have in God's hands, then not enough 
is all you need. I want to close with this, and I want to invite you to stand. If you would just repeat these lines with me, I would just, I would just ask you to take this home with you. The first line is this. I admit my insufficiency. Would you just say that out loud? I admit my insufficiency. Number two, I trust in God's ability. And number three, I'm grateful for God's provision. My prayer for each one of you today would be that you come to a full recognition, a full and joyful recognition that you are not enough. God, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I cannot do it. Because when you recognize that, God will say, perfect, now I can use you. And you will say, God, thank you for what I have, and I trust you for what I've got. I trust in your ability. I acknowledge my insufficiency, and I know that you will provide. Put what you have, the little bit of time, the little bit of talent, the little bit of treasure that you have, put it in God's hands. Because when you do, then not enough is all you need. Let's pray. God, you're so good. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for the opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. We thank you that we, like the disciples, recognize our own insufficiency, our own inability, our lack of capacity. We know that we don't have enough, but we know that you are enough. And today I pray for each person who is struggling with that sense of inadequacy, that they would recognize that it's just all right for them to not be enough because they've got a God who loves them and a God who is fully enough. I pray that each one of us would be transformed by your word today. I pray that we would leave here filled with your spirit, filled with the joy of your salvation, and filled with the courage of the Holy Spirit to know that you are with us. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If you need prayer today, there's gonna be some prayer team members up here at the front. Come on, get some prayer. God bless you, we love you. Have a great Sunday.